Our God is an awesome God. Shout to the Lord all the earth and let us sing. He is mighty to save. He is mighty to save. Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say. It is well, it is well with my soul. Waymaker, miracle worker, Jesus. Well, good morning, church. Good morning and welcome to Riverside. So glad that all of you are here today. Um, and I want to begin with this idea today. I, I don't know if you've heard anyone speak these words to you lately. So just in case you haven't, I want you to hear this. You, you are loved. You are so loved. You are loved by a God who is greater than you can imagine, whose grace is greater than you could possibly know. And if the cross of Jesus teaches us anything, and it teaches us a lot, it teaches us this, that we are loved. We are loved. Today we're in the middle of a series uh, that's going to carry us through the summer that we're simply calling Jesus Music. And what we want to do in this series is, is every week just lean into a different song, a song that... That, that maybe it's meant a lot to you individually, but a song that, that has meant a lot to the church collectively through the years. And today we want to lean into this song that we just sang called Jesus Paid It All. This song was written by a lady named Elvina Hall when she was experiencing what you might call a come-to-Jesus moment. Have you ever had a come-to-Jesus moment? You know, one of these moments where, where somebody just calls you in, sits you down, and tells you exactly like it is. I remember uh, I was in fourth grade, and when I was in fourth grade, when I was a kid, uh, I was a little bit shy. I didn't like attention. I didn't like a lot of, uh, I didn't want to, you know, I was a rule follower. I didn't want to get in trouble. But in fourth grade, I had this fourth grade teacher that drove me absolutely nuts. And, and the reason why was because every day she gave us like so much homework. And she wouldn't put it on the board until the end of the day. So you couldn't work on it during the school day. You could only do it at home. And so at the end of every day, she would write the, the, the homework assignments on the board. And the rule at my house, I don't know what it was like at your house growing up, but at my house, the rule was when you get home, the first thing you do is your homework, and then you can do whatever you want to do. You can watch TV, you can go outside and play. Those were really the only two options. But you could do what you wanted to do whenever you got done with your homework. The problem was I, I would get home. I'm a rule follower. I would start doing my homework. I would keep doing my homework. It would come time for supper. We would eat supper. Then I would get back to my homework. And now it's 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock. I'm still doing homework. And this was every single night. And it drove me, it just drove me insane. I was so angry. I was so frustrated. My parents were frustrated. It was every single night. And I'll never forget one day we're sitting in class. It's the end of the day at school. And our teacher goes up to the board, fourth grade teacher, writing those homework assignments on the board. And like steam is coming out of my ears. You know, my face is turning red. I'm just getting so angry and so frustrated and I didn't know what to do. I took out a sheet of notebook paper and I thought I'll handle my feelings in a very mature way. So I start writing down all these angry things, like an angry letter to this teacher. No intention for her to ever see this, right? But I'm writing all these things down and I grew up in church. I didn't know any bad words. I'm making stuff up, people. Like I'm like writing down stuff. This, these words don't even exist. Getting all my feelings out on the page. I get done. I fold it up. I put it on the corner of my desk and somehow, some way, I I just, it helped. I felt better until uh, this kid in my class named Steven walks by my desk, thinks he's real smart, knocks that paper off the edge of my desk. Well, he looks at me, gives me a smirk. I've been down to pick it up and teacher looks up. 
Well, she sees this, and in our class, you're not allowed to pass notes. There was no texting, by the way, back then, people, they, you know, no phones, and so I was fourth grade anyway. I've been down to pick up the notes. She looks up. She sees you. She thinks we're passing notes. She comes over to my desk. She takes that sheet of paper. She unfolds it, and she begins to read it, and in that moment, I knew we were about to have a come-to-Jesus moment, and we did. Um, we did. The truth is, there comes a time in all of our lives, doesn't there, when we need to have a come to Jesus moment. When you, when you just got to put everything on the table, the good, the bad, the ugly, and you got to deal with it, whatever it is. Well, it's 1865 and Elvina Hall is at church. Uh, she's singing in the choir that day. So she's in the choir loft and her pastor is, is praying and he's going on and on and on. And she does something that day that I know none of you ever do whenever uh, I'm preaching or praying. Her mind begins to wander sitting in the uh, Monument Methodist Episcopal Church there in Baltimore, Maryland in 1865. Her mind begins to wonder, and she's not thinking about where to go to lunch after church. She's not thinking about, is it Hat Creek Day? Are we going back to Rosa's? Now she's thinking about the cross. And in the middle of that worship, in the middle of that church gathering that day, she has this come to Jesus moment where she's just completely overwhelmed by the grace of God, by what God had done for her and for all of us through Jesus at the cross. And as her mind begins to wonder, these words and lyrics start coming to her mind and she's looking around, she's not prepared for this moment. She wants to write this down. She's thinking, oh, this is good. And so she looks around, all she can find is a hymnal. So she grabs an old church hymnal. Remember those things? She opens it up, she finds a, a page where there's a little bit of white margin where she can write some things down. She searches around for a pen, a pencil, whatever she can find. And she begins to write down these words that you just sang. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. And in that moment, Elvina Hall put into words what I think so many of us have experienced and felt through the years. That our sin is real. The gravity and the weight of the things that we've done are real. And, and, and there's something that happens when we come to that realization that because of our sin, because of the gravity of our sin, we need a Savior. We need saving. And without God, the reality is, the truth is, we are without hope. A lot of us, I know I've done this, I know many of us have done this, we try to deny it, we try to downplay our sin, the things that we've done that we know are wrong, the things that, that, that separate us from each other, things that separate us from God. And we even try to look at other people and we point out their faults and say, well, at least we're not as bad as them, or we blame them for the things that we've done. It's so much easier, isn't it, to point out someone else's faults or to blame someone else for what, for what maybe we've done and, and say, well, it wasn't really our fault, they, they, they made me do that, or... But it's something else entirely, isn't it? When you just have a moment of clarity and you take ownership for who you are and for what you've done, and when you're honest about that, then you, you come to this moment where you realize you need to come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. And whenever you come to Jesus, you have to come to terms with that question, right? What do I do? What do I do 
about the sin in my life. Because this is what sin does. I don't have to tell you what sin does. You know what sin does. Sin separates us. Sin is a divider. Sin is a separator. Sin causes division. Sin, sin separates you from people. Think about the sin in your life. What does it do? It separates you from the people you love, right? It does. That's what sin does. Sin is a divider. Sin is division. Sin separates people from people. And sin separates you. It separates people from God. This is what sin does. Whenever you think about the gravity and the reality of your sin, you have to come to terms with that question. What do I do? What do I do about sin? Uh, in the days following the death, burial, and resurrection and ascension of Jesus, there was a man by the name of Paul who, who had his own come to Jesus moment. Uh, if you know this story, you'll remember he was on the road to a city called Damascus. If you don't know the story, I would encourage you to go read it. You'll find it in the, the book of Acts. But Paul is on his way to the city of Damascus when he literally has a come to Jesus moment. Again, this is after the death, burial, and a resurrection and ascension of Jesus. So as the story goes, Paul is traveling to Damascus and all of a sudden he is blinded by a bright light. And then he hears a voice and everybody who's with him hears the voice, but only Paul understands the voice. And in that moment, Paul hears the voice of Jesus. He has a come to Jesus moment. And whenever that happened, it changed his life for the rest of his life. In fact, from that moment on, Paul would spend the rest of his life telling everyone everywhere about the great love of God revealed in Jesus. What's interesting is up to that point, Paul thought he was right. Up to that moment in his life before he met Jesus on the Damascus Road, Paul thought he was righteous. He thought he had it all together. He thought he was doing it right. He thought God supported him, that God supported what he was doing in his actions, even when he thought he was right. You know what? Paul was wrong. I think a lot of us are like that. I've been like that. Sometimes we think I'm right, or I'm all right, or I got it together, or I'm doing good, or God is with me, or God is supporting me, even when... Maybe does, God doesn't support what we do or doesn't support the way we think, but we think God does. Paul thought he was right. Paul thought he was righteous. Paul thought he had it all together until Paul met Jesus, and then Jesus changed his life for the rest of his life. And Paul didn't just go around telling people about Jesus. He started planting churches. And then he, after he would start the churches and he would get them established, he would go on to, to a different place and do it all over again. But he wouldn't forget about this church or that church. He would be writing letters all the time to these different churches, telling them, teaching them, instructing them, giving them words to live by, the words of God to live by. And what's amazing is that we have those same words today, the words that he wrote for those churches. And today what I want to do is invite you to lean in and look at something Paul wrote to one of those churches, to the church in Ephesus. We talked about this church, by the way, last week. This was a really good church. If you missed last week, I would invite you to go back and listen to see what happened that week. But Paul started this church in the ancient city of Ephesus some 2,000 years ago. Then he writes this letter to this church. And I want you to hear what he says in Ephesians chapter 2. And we'll start in verse 4. Ephesians 2 verse 4, Paul says this. But God, but God is so rich in mercy. And he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. Just like me in fourth grade, just like Elvina Hall in that church in 1865, Paul had this but God moment in his life, this come to Jesus moment in his life when he realized his need for God. When he realized that without God, he was without hope. Without God, we're without hope. That what sin did is sin separates us from each other and sin separates us from God. But then you realize, but God is so rich in mercy that his sin 
It isn't the end of the story. But God is so rich in mercy. Elvina Halson is not the end of her story. But God is so rich in mercy. Your sin is not the end of your story. You ever had a but God moment? A come to Jesus moment where you realize, yeah, your sin is great, but your sin is not the end of the story. I know sometimes we rationalize it. I'm the best at this. You probably think you're the best at this. We think I'm not that bad. The things that I've done, they're not that egregious. But, but can't we just agree that sin is sin? Uh, quick question. Uh, raise your hand if you have ever told a lie. Go ahead. If you haven't raised your hand yet, go ahead and raise your hand. You've just lied in church, and that's a double sin. You can raise both hands. Anybody ever taken something that didn't belong to you? If you've got a Riverside pin in your purse or in your drawer at home, raise your hand. We see you. No, we don't care about that. You ever cheated? Maybe you copied somebody's homework, cheated on a test, get corners at work. I don't know. Ever cheated? Okay, don't raise your hands for this. Anybody in the room ever been guilty of lust? You know, Jesus once said that if you lust after someone else, it's the same as committing adultery with them in your heart. Anybody in the room ever been angry? You know, Jesus once said that if you're angry, it's, it's the same as killing someone. It's the same as murder. So in the room today, we have a bunch of lying, thieving, cheating, adulterous murderers. Welcome to Riverside. We're really glad you're here. <laughs> Paul would say to another church in a different place, you know what? We're all sinners. We've all sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. One of the ways we say it here at Riverside is this way. We're all perfectly imperfect. We just put that on the table. We don't have it all together. We know we are all sinners. None of us in the room have done it perfectly. We're, we don't have it figured out yet. We're striving. We're trying. We're leaning into Jesus. We want to follow him the best we can. But, but we're going to be honest about it. We're, we are perfectly imperfect. We don't have it all together. We realize our need for God. And here's the good news. Paul says it right there. We just read it. But God, but God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave his life. Again, this is the gospel. This is the good news. It's not that you were bad and Jesus came to make it better. It's that you were dead because of your sin and Christ came to give you life. Even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life. When, how? When he raised Christ from the dead. And then he adds this as a tag. He says, it is only, it is only by God's grace. The question, what do I do about my sin? Let me tell you something. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can do about your sin. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. And that word saved, you may want to underline that. You may want to highlight that. You may want to screenshot that. That's an important word. There's different ways of talking about and understanding what happened on the cross that day some 2,000 years ago. The, the theological term for it is the word atonement, okay? Uh, the theology of atonement. It's all about what happened at the cross that day some 2,000 years ago, what God did through Jesus at the cross. If you break that word down in English, it's easy to remember because it's all about how God made us at one with himself. Atonement is all about being made right with God, how God made us at one with himself. And that's the good news, right? Sin divides us, 
sin separates us, what does God do at the cross, through the cross, in and through Jesus at the cross? He makes us united with him, one with him. And by the word, that word saved, I told you to highlight, underline, screenshot. In the original language, it's the word sozo. And it literally means saved, salvation, but it also means this, healed. You see, the idea of what happened at the cross, it's not just about this idea that that Jesus paid it all in the sense that there was a transaction that took place. There wasn't, okay? Jesus paid it all in the sense that he did everything possible so that you and I could be reunited into fellowship and relationship with God. But, But sin, sin isn't a problem to be solved, to be fixed. Sin is a spiritual disease that needs healing. And what Jesus did at the cross is he saved you. He healed you. He wanted to come and heal. Jesus was a healer. He was famous for this. He was called the great physician, right? Jesus came to heal you of the spiritual disease called sin. And that healing, that is your, that is our salvation. And this is the good news. How does it happen? Paul says in verse 6, God raised us. Get this. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us. This isn't future tense, by the way. This isn't about what's going to happen one day. This is, this is present tense. This is actually past tense, right? For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. This is the good news. This is the gospel. Jesus who is the Son of God, fully divine, became the Son of Man. He was born and became fully human. The Son of God became the Son of Man. He lived on planet Earth for some 33 years, and then he was crucified on a cross. He was buried in a borrowed tomb for three days, and on the third day, God raised him up from the grave. And then he spent about 40 days Again, on planet Earth, the same planet you and I live on, he was seen by more than 500 people. Then his disciples gathered around him and watched as he ascended and returned to heaven. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but right now, seated at the right hand of God the Father, is a man from Nazareth who lived on planet Earth just like you and me, experienced everything we've experienced. And now the Son of God, who was the Son of Man, this man from Nazareth, now is seated at the right hand of God. And you and I... If you have put your faith in Jesus, if you've had this come to Jesus moment, by grace, through faith, now you too are seated. Paul just said it, seated with him in the heavenly realms. This is how we are united with Christ. This was the the plan from before time began. This was the plan all along. Before, Before sin entered the picture, before Adam and Eve took the fruit from the tree, God had this in mind for us. He wanted, his greatest desire for you, for us, is to have relationship with him, unhindered fellowship with him. This is the gospel. This is the good news. That God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, who enjoy perfect relationship and unhindered fellowship, want us to be in relationship with him, with them, in unhindered fellowship. This is the gospel. This is the good news. And how does this happen? This is what happens in your baptism. 
This is what happens when you are baptized. When you, when you step into the waters of baptism and you are literally, you die to yourself, you are buried with Christ, and you are raised to new life. And then Paul says, at that point, you are ascended. You are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms to enjoy unhindered fellowship and relationship with God the Father, God the Son. And God the Spirit. Some of you, you've experienced this come to Jesus moment in your own life. You've made that declaration, I have decided to follow Jesus. And if you have, this is your reality. This is the good news. This is what happens. You can say, I am a lying, cheating sinner, but Jesus died for even me, and it is a gift from God. And so the question that I want to ask you today is simply this. Are you ready? Are you ready to come to Jesus? A few years ago, I was on a retreat with a group of students. And we got together one night, and I asked them to take a, a T-shirt and use the markers that we had given them and, and to take a few moments and just start writing down. Take a shirt, take a marker, and start writing down all the things, all the sin, all the stuff, all, all, all of those words that if we were to speak them out loud, they would just bring shame on us. And they took some time. And they wrote down everything they could think of. all the things that they were just completely ashamed of, felt so guilty about. And after they wrote down the words, words that if you were to read them would make your jaws drop, I asked them to take those shirts and just put them on. And they filled those shirts with words like liar and cheater, words like greed. I struggle with my language. I struggle with anger. I struggle with, with all these things that lust, pornography, sex. I struggle with, with drinking. I struggle with, you name it. I mean, there, there were more words on these shirts than you and I would care to imagine. And I asked them to put them on because for a lot of us and for a lot of them, this was just true. This was their identity. A lot of us, what we do is, is we have this, we wear this, but we, we spend most of our days and most of our time doing our very best to cover it up. Amen. We've got a gazillion ways to hide. What's interesting is that people, people that don't even believe in Jesus, they try to cover these things up and hide. And we all know this is not the way it's supposed to be. This is not the way we were created to live. We all have this God-shaped hole inside of our hearts, right? And we, 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 we try to fill it with different things. But every time we do, we realize it doesn't work. And what's interesting is it it, it causes pain. Anytime you try to fit something inside that God-shaped hole that doesn't fit, it, it, it hurts. What's really interesting about sin is it doesn't just hurt us, it hurts those around us. Your sin is never just about you, is it? Ask them to put these shirts on and wear them because in so many ways, this is, this, this sin, this shame, this, this was their identity. And they thought there was nothing they could do about this. The guilt and shame they felt, it was just completely overwhelming. And when they finished, I said, take those shirts off and just pile them up on the floor. We sent them on to 
their dorms, their rooms. After lights were out, with the help of some of our youth workers, we gathered those shirts and we began to wash away every stain, every mark, every sin, every shame. What we didn't tell them is that those markers they had, those were washable markers. And you may think, well, that was a trick. Let me tell you something. It wasn't. You may not know this. You may have never thought about this. You may have believed the lie that those sins and those marks and those stains on your soul, that those are written in permanent ink. That's what the father of lies, Satan, your enemy. That's what he tells you. That's what he wants you to believe. But that's not the truth. The truth is all those things that you're ashamed of, all those sins that you deal with, all those things you try to hide and cover up, all those things that you don't want anyone else to see. Because you, you think if, if someone saw what was true about you, you think if somebody, could, could, if, you, if, if, if somehow you were exposed, if it was brought to light the things you struggled with, the sins that you've committed, you think no one would love you. You think if God saw, even though you know he knows, but you think maybe I can hide this from God. You think if, if God knew what you knew about you, he wouldn't love you. And so you do your best to hide him because you think that these things are written in permanent ink. But you know what the reality is? They're not. They're all written in washable marker. And that night, we spent the entire night washing the stain and the sin and the shame off of every single shirt. And when they woke up that morning, they walked in the room. I told them to go find their shirt, the one with their sin. But you know what? They were all gone. Every single one of them washed clean. But we didn't just have all the sins washed. That's, that's good news, but I'll be honest, it's not great news. It's not the gospel. Because Jesus didn't come because you were bad and he wanted to make you better. He came to die and he rose again so he could give you life. We take in their shirts. I'm gonna use a different one because this one's dry, that one's wet. <laughs> But on those same shirts where they had written all their sins, we'd washed all those away. And in permanent marker, we had written a new word. In a sense, we'd given them a new identity and asked them to put these shirts on. On the new shirts was simply the word Christ. And I asked them that morning, I said, put on these shirts. I want you to literally put on Christ because this is your new identity. Scripture says his mercies are new every morning. That's, that, every day we get to begin again with God. Every day you get to wake up and there's, there's a brand new start, a fresh start. I said, put on these shirts with these new names, this new identity, because this is who you are now. All those things you thought you were, those weren't true about you. The father of lies, he said they were true about you, but they weren't true about you. All those things could be washed away and have been washed away. This is who you are. And by the way, when you put this on, this can't be washed away. He's gonna tell you it can, but it can't. This is written in permanent marker. You can put this in the wash, you can run it, you can probably bleach it, but it's not coming off, people. Like this new name, this is who you are for now, forever. That's it. And some of you, you've done this. You've taken this step. 
You've made this declaration. You've said, I have decided to follow Jesus. You believe Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin left a crimson stain, but Jesus washed it whiter than snow. Isaiah said it this way, centuries before Jesus came, that though your sins were like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow, that they were as red as crimson, they shall be like wool. This is what happens. This has been the plan of God from the very beginning of time. God wanted to wash away your sin so that you could be one with him, united with him with Christ seated in the the heavenly realms. He wants you to come to Jesus because he wants to be in relationship, in unhindered fellowship with you. Church, if you would, let's stand. Some of you've made that declaration and you've put on Christ, but I know what you're thinking. You're thinking this shirt that you put on with a new name you've already messed it up. You say, man, I've sinned since then. I've done some things I'm not proud of. I've got shame, I've got guilt. Can I I tell you again? Um, All those things are written in washable marker. Jesus calls himself living water. And when you stepped into the waters of baptism, what you did is you unleashed that living water inside of you. The Holy Spirit is thriving inside of you and he is washing you anew every single day. Some of you, maybe you've never taken this step. And if not, let me just ask, why not? Why not? There's nothing God wants more than for you to enter into a lifelong relationship with him. He wants to wash away your sin. He wants to give you a new name. And he wants you to know that he paid it all so you can live with him. This morning, we're gonna sing this song. And as we do, I wanna invite you today. I I would invite everyone in the room, don't don't leave here with the shame and the guilt of your sin. Don't. If you need someone to pray with, come find me, come find Jason. If we've got a couple of elders, they'll be available in the back of the room. We'd love to pray with you, pray over you, pray for you. If you've made this declaration, you're like, man, I need, to, I need to be washed again. God offers that every day. His mercies are new every morning, all right? If you've never made this confession of faith, but you want to, come find one of us. We'd love to help you on your journey. We'd love to see your sins washed away. And we'd love to witness you put on Christ because Jesus paid it all. All to him we owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow.